Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Streeter, Illinois. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Born on April 29, 1995, Dalton Alexander Masarchik was described as a good boy who was always polite and never got into any trouble. He grew up in Streeter, which is a small town of about 14,000 people in north-central Illinois. Dalton lived with his parents, two brothers, and three sisters in the most neighbory of neighborhoods you could imagine, and it was in the 400 block of West Morrell Street. Eventually, somewhere around 2001, the Journal Star reports that Dalton's parents, Michelle and George, got divorced, but they decided to keep living together to save some money and with six kids to raise, that does make a whole lot of sense. As a little boy, Dalton loved riding his bike and making art, but more than anything, he loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. The local motorcyclists knew Dalton well and even nicknamed him Little Dude. His mom, Michelle, told the Times Press, everybody considered Dalton a brother. He had the wind in his heart. He was a biker, and that's what he wanted to be. Michelle said that by the time Dalton was three, he was begging her to buy him a Harley. He was still a little small, but she did promise that when he turned 18, she would get him one. In the meantime, he would just have to collect all the little toy models. By the spring of 2003, Dalton was in the first grade and winning over all of the hearts. His school superintendent said he was an eager young student who liked to read and draw, and he was well-liked with a lot of friends. Dalton was an easygoing, happy kid, and damn near anything could put a smile on that little boy's face. Outside of motorcycles and school, he really loved his church. He usually went to the Cavalry Baptist Church, but every now and then he'd pop in at events at First Church of the Nazarene. When he did go there, he would sometimes hop a ride on their free shuttle van, which would pick him up and drop him off at his house. Knowing a first grader is taking his own rides to and from church might make you a little nervous, but it was a freaking church van, so his parents trusted it, and I think a lot of people would. And it wasn't an everyday thing that wasn't even his home church, but the Times Press reported that between August of 2002 and March of 2003, he'd only ridden in the van maybe two or three times and all without incident. On Wednesday, March 26th, Dalton was supposed to go to a youth program at First Church with that shuttle van scheduled to pick him up sometime before 7.30 p.m. He was a little kid and beyond excited, so an hour early at around 6.30 p.m., he walked into his front yard and started waiting. He was wearing jeans, a black wrestling t-shirt, a leather jacket, and Hot Wheels sneakers. His two front teeth were missing, like pretty much all first graders we know, and if that description doesn't capture just how quintessentially innocent Dalton was, I don't know what will. Fifteen minutes into his wait, Dalton's 12-year-old sister left to go to a friend's house where she was going to wait for that same church van. Very tween thing to do. They were going to the same place in the same vehicle, but friends are life and she wanted to wait there. The waiting wound up taking longer than expected because the van didn't show up on time. Dalton's sister called home to check and see if it was still coming, and everyone figured it was just running late. Dalton's mom asked him if he still wanted to wait, and of course he said yes. He had been ready all day, so what was a few more minutes? She told him to wait inside the enclosed front porch since it was chilly and only getting darker. 
Dalton did what he was told, but Michelle never saw her son again. At around 7.45 p.m., Dalton's sister came back home because the church van never came to pick up her or her friend. She went inside and asked her parents where Dalton was, and it was then that they realized Dalton was gone. Michelle and George called the church to ask what was going on, hoping that maybe Dalton had been picked up and the van had just accidentally skipped his sister's friend's house. But the pastor told them that the shuttle had been canceled that night because the driver had had a family emergency. With that, Dalton's parents went outside and did what anyone in their situation would do. They ran around yelling his name, hoping that he would come back home. But he never did. They searched the immediate area high and low, but there was no sign of their son anywhere. Michelle later told WGN9 that Dalton wasn't the kind of kid who would just wander off, saying he was the superglue child that was always right by. And I mean, he had come inside just to tell his mom he was still outside. As the minutes ticked by without any sign of Dalton and the night only growing darker, at 8.43 p.m., Michelle and George reported their son missing. Police wasted no time and spared no resource showing up with bloodhounds to track Dalton's scent. They followed it from his porch to the middle of the street in front of his house, and then it was gone, which meant that someone had likely pulled up in a vehicle, abducted Dalton from right in front of his house, and then drove off. Knowing an abduction was the most likely scenario, an Amber Alert was sent out. Dalton's mom and aunt told the Chicago Tribune that they believe Dalton got into a vehicle thinking it was that shuttle picking him up to go to church. Authorities continued searching for Dalton all throughout the night while local news stations ran his name and information across the bottoms of primetime TV. By the morning, a command center had been set up at City Hall where several different agencies, including the FBI and several county sheriff's departments, gathered to help in any way they could. Knowing they needed to search the area as quickly as possible, authorities asked locals to help them out. As you can imagine, it was a race to that meeting location. They did not walk, they ran. And at 10 a.m. that morning, roughly 500 people were lined up and ready to help look for him. The Times Press reported that groups of 10 combed the street or area in a grid search. Some searched on foot, while others used cars, four-wheelers, horses, and boats. It was all hands and all resources on deck. While everyone was out searching the immediate area, Dalton's family and their friends fanned out around town, putting up flyers everywhere they could stick some tape. Dalton's father told the Pantograph, We're living through every parent's nightmare. An hour and a half after that search began, so just after 11.30 a.m., a fisherman found a body floating in a lazy, narrow area of the Vermilion River near a tree at the Vermilion Boat Club. It was an area just over the county line and less than three miles south of Dalton's home. There was hope that there was no way in hell the body could possibly be Dalton's, 
but that hope quickly burnt out. The Times Press reported that the fishermen who found the body almost immediately recognized it as Dalton's. Officers rushed to the scene and secured the area. It was very clear in a way that will change you forever that Dalton had been the victim of a brutal murder. All investigators could do at that point was search the river for any kind of evidence that might lead them to his killer. After recovering Dalton, a task force of 50 investigators from law enforcement agencies, including the Illinois State Police, local departments, and the FBI, was established with one mission and one mission only solve Dalton's murder. The local police knew they weren't equipped to investigate Dalton's murder on their own and didn't even flinch when it came to asking for help. They even set up an email for tips at daltonm at isp.state.is.us as well as a phone number at 1877-DALTON-M. At 12 p.m., police held a press conference where they updated the public on everything that had happened that morning, but they did it vaguely. They said that the body in the lake had been identified as Dalton and they were investigating his death as a homicide, but they wouldn't say why. They wouldn't comment on whether or not Dalton had been sexually assaulted and frankly, it was no one's business at the time. Police said they were following 70 leads that had come in from the community and that Dalton's parents were not suspects. They said that while some sex offenders were being interviewed, the investigation was not centered on sex offenders like some of the media outlets had been reporting. Their focus at the time was interviewing neighbors and canvassing different areas. One of Dalton's aunts spoke at the conference, telling the public that the family was completely devastated by Dalton's murder, but they were confident his killer would be located. Following the conference, Dalton's mother said she thought he was abducted by someone from the area, and she felt that way because the part of the river where his body was found is known by fishermen and locals. On top of that, this town is not huge, and Dalton was waiting in an enclosed porch. What is the likelihood that some random person would have stopped in front of that exact house looking for a child to abduct? Was it someone who knew him? Did they know his schedule? Did they know he would be waiting for that van? That porch was not your average porch. It wasn't just screened in. It almost looked like a fancy addition to the house. Passing by the front of that house, you might even mistake it for a garage. I doubt you could even talk to someone outside of that porch unless you went into it. Cases like this make me wish that I could go back and change when doorbell cameras became a thing. As you can imagine, members of the community were shaken to their core in fear, worried about the safety of their own children. They were horrified at the kind of evil it would take to do to Dalton whatever they had done. And parents stopped letting their children out of their sight at all. The community went so far as to hold an event to help teach parents how to talk to their kids about child abduction. The following day, March 29th, another press conference was held to give an update. They said investigators were tracking down 130 leads now, interviewing sex offenders and neighbors, and conducting canvases. Police hadn't been able to identify a suspect yet, but they were going through every single tip to eliminate the dead ends and hopefully find a lead. Police wouldn't give a description of the car they believed was involved, However, the Pantograph reported that the police chief did speculate the kidnapper was driving a van similar in size to the church van, 
Police would later backtrack that statement, saying they don't know for sure what car was used. And I'm guessing that was more so speculation, trying to piece together why Dalton approached the vehicle. He was expecting a van, so maybe it was a van. I read a newspaper article from the Times Press where they photographed police doing essentially roadblocks, checking all trucks passing through the area. So I don't think their comment was any kind of hint at information the public wasn't privy to yet. Police went on to say that they were still searching the Vermilion River for evidence and had been able to recover new evidence that was being analyzed by the state crime lab. Of course, they wouldn't say what that evidence was, but they still had a lot of cards to hold. They asked the public to come forward with any information and advise parents to keep their children in view until they had more information to determine if the killer was local or someone passing through. They assured the public that they were conducting extra patrols and were keeping a close eye on everything. And while that's comforting in a way, any parent hearing that would be out buying extra locks and sleeping with their kids in their room. This was the kind of fear that you could almost see and feel at the same time. It was everywhere. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, I always thought that when I was an adult, I'd have life figured out. And more times than I can count, I have felt lost trying to figure out what I was supposed to do next, whether it was life in general, as a parent, or in my career. Whether it's any of those things or something completely different, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything else in life. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. I see my therapist every week and I can't tell you how many times I've told her about a dilemma I have going on. And even though I feel like I have run through every possible scenario, she always comes in with some kind of therapist wisdom that puts things into a perspective that my brain hadn't done on its own. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BigMad today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BigMad. On April 1st, police revealed that Dalton's cause of death was blunt force trauma. They later added that Dalton had suffered other injuries aside from that, but those injuries did not contribute to his death. Despite knowing his cause of death, police still couldn't figure out what exactly happened to him. They said they were hopeful that releasing new information and offering a $1,000 reward would lead more people to come forward. The same day his cause of death was announced, seven-year-old Dalton was laid to rest. His casket was open and those in attendance could see that he would forever wear an outfit that matched his soul, a motorcycle shirt, bandana, and sunglasses. His Harley models were placed in the casket with him, along with some of his favorite stuffed animals. Dalton's artwork, which he loved making, was displayed around the room. His mother said, these are so special to me. This is the only art I will ever have from him. 
The Times Press reported that following the funeral, there was a procession of motorcycles in a missing man formation, which leaves an empty motorcycle near the head of the procession as a way to honor the deceased. And if that isn't enough to make you want to cry, the motorcycle riders also had little dude patches made in Dalton's honor. The funeral procession drove by Dalton's school where the flags were lowered to half-mast. All of that is ridiculously heartwarming on another level, but also infuriating because none of that should ever have to be done for a seven-year-old child, ever. On April 4th, news broke that America's Most Wanted would be covering Dalton's case, something that meant a lot to authorities and the family. 50 investigators were still working around the clock to solve Dalton's murder, continuing to follow leads and wait for test results on that unnamed evidence. They were hoping with more eyes on the case, they'd have more to work with, and it did work out. Following the America's Most Wanted segment, police got 16 new leads to follow. After a week, the Times Press reported that police had whittled down a lot of those leads. As a result, the number of investigators looking into Dalton's murder was decreased to around 20. Police said they had gone through hundreds of leads, then gone back through them another two times. They had also interviewed and re-interviewed hundreds of people and were at a point where they just needed one little thing. Dalton's mother told the Times Press that the family believed in the police. She said, they're doing everything they can. We have faith in them that they'll catch the guy who did this. Michelle continued saying, I'm angry. I'm not going to say I'm not. This man killed my child. We're frustrated. We're scared. We don't know who this is, but he knows where we live. Who is this? Someone says hello to you in the grocery store. How do you know who this guy is? Michelle added that people would drive by their house and just stare at them, making the family feel like they were sitting ducks. Authorities chimed in, telling the Associated Press that they were also frustrated by the lack of an arrest. One sheriff said, we would have all liked to have had someone in custody by this point. He reminded the public that parents should still keep a close eye on their children. Because the investigation was waning, America's Most Wanted reran the segment on Dalton's murder, and just like that, there were more than a dozen new leads. On April 14th, police announced that a tip had led them to the weapon used in Dalton's murder. It was a three-pound sledgehammer with a metal head and a short wooden handle. According to the Times, it had been found in an outside trash receptacle at the Polish National Alliance Hall in Streeter. There were now three locations of note, the street in front of Dalton's house, the river where he was found, and this trash receptacle. Police said the hammer was still being tested by the state crime lab, but they could confirm that blood found on the hammer belonged to Dalton. The hammer, a Benchtop Pro, was exclusively sold at Kmart when Kmart was a thing, so investigators worked with the store to identify if the hammer had been sold or stolen around the time of Dalton's murder. Police also asked residents to check their belongings to make sure they weren't missing a hammer. Within two days, police got more than 10 tips regarding Benchtop Pro sledgehammers. They still hadn't narrowed down a suspect, but they were working on it. Needing more help from the public, they asked members of the community to call in if they owned a Benchtop Pro hammer so they could cross-check it with a list received from Kmart, process of elimination against the inventory list at that local store. At this point, the rumor mill around town had become a beast of its own, which does tend to happen when fear and lack of information exist together. 
One of the rumors was that Dalton's own mother, Michelle, had killed him, which is fucking asinine and cruel and based on absolutely zero facts. This woman was living in constant fear in the home her child had been abducted from and later murdered. She was mourning her son while still having to be the mother of her other children. And now she was dealing with this bullshit. Anyone who tells you that words don't hurt is a fucking liar. But even still, Dalton's father said that he and Michelle could handle hearing the rumors themselves, but their children were also hearing them, and that was the most upsetting part. So if we take anything away from this, let's do better. True crime community, let's do better. A few weeks later, on April 29th, Dalton's eighth birthday came and went, and there's no way to describe the kind of empty that leaves a family. He wasn't there to open his gifts, which had been bought long before he disappeared. A new pair of Harley boots and models for his collection. Instead, dozens of residents left candles, balloons, and more outside of his home. He had also missed his favorite holiday, which was Easter. Michelle told WGN9 that he loved everything about the holiday, including the hard-boiled eggs, because seven-year-olds are hilarious. She said he called the yolks egg cheese, which is one of the cutest things I've ever heard. She talked to the Times Press about how the family was holding up and said she had trouble sleeping at night because she was constantly thinking about what Dalton had gone through in his last moments. She said, I just hear him crying for me. It's terrible not knowing what happened to him. Did this person tell him he was going to kill him? Was it drawn out? Did he suffer? Police continued to update the terrified public, even if their update was just that there wasn't one. They still didn't have a particular suspect or vehicle description, but as soon as they did, they said they would let the public know. They said that at that point, there were around 15 officers from departments working on the case, and the FBI was no longer involved, but were still offering up any of their resources they might need. Police added that they were still waiting on test results from the state lab. Over the next month or so, reporting on Dalton's case was the same. Police still didn't have any suspects, and they were waiting on test results from the hammer and other unspecified physical evidence. By the end of May, leads had slowed down to a trickle. Police told the Times Press that because leads weren't coming in, they were re-examining all of the evidence they had already gathered. They were trying to look at it from different angles, hoping to find something they might have missed. They also once again reminded the public to keep a close eye on their children. Reporting on Dalton's case only continued to slow down. On July 21st, Dalton's mother announced that multiple foundations and agencies had pulled their money in order to offer a $10,000 reward. Unfortunately, the money did not generate any new leads. In late September, Dalton's family held a vigil to mark the six-month anniversary of his murder and to remind people that police still had no suspects and the investigation was ongoing. Michelle said that her grief had gotten worse as time went on because now her shock had worn off and she could feel everything. 2003 turned into 2004, and in January, police announced that they were sending some of their evidence to a private lab for further analysis. They said that the private lab would be able to do things that the state lab couldn't. This meant that the lab results must have come back at some point, but whatever the results were, it didn't look like they were enough, and this department was not about to sit back and waste any time. If there was something new they could try, they were going to do it. 
Reporting continued to be slow over the next couple of months, but in late March of 2004, the one-year anniversary articles came flooding in in a terrifying reminder that a very real threat was still out there. Police updated that the task force was still dedicated to Dalton's case, and once a month they would review everything they had to try and develop new angles. They refused to give up any hope that they could solve this. Michelle told the Associated Press that she's taken to investigating her son's murder on her own, following up on rumors, and even checking through the town's sex offender registry herself. The following day, police held another press conference which felt oddly close to the last one, so it had everyone thinking that this one might be different, that this must be an actual update that might break the case wide open. And it was. Law enforcement announced that they finally had a suspect who had been identified through the evidence tested at the private lab. They didn't elaborate on who it was or what evidence led them to the suspect, but it was something. Naturally, Dalton's parents were elated with George saying, it looks like we're in a home stretch towards getting some closure to this. Michelle added, they're going to get him and whoever it is, I hope he's nervous. I hope he's sweating because they're coming to get him. The him in her quote was the only hint towards who it might be. Now that a suspect had been identified, police put together a new multi-jurisdictional task force consisting of nearly 60 people this time, 10 more than the first. According to the Times Press, the task force employed several methods to try and bring in new information. Police saying they had reason to believe there were still people in Streeter who could help them out, which sounds a lot like someone knows something. Dalton's mom told the Times, I totally 100% believe there are people who know things and why they're protecting the person, I don't know. But then she added something else, saying, I don't believe one person did this. I think there are other people that helped or someone has to know, even if they didn't see something specific. One thing the task force did was run roadside safety checks so they could hand out informational flyers about Dalton's case. The flyers included pictures of Dalton, the part of the river where his body was found, and the sledgehammer used to kill him. Seeing that photo of the hammer was so eerie because it was something that really anyone might have in their house, and now it wasn't just something people were talking about, they were visually seeing it, and it just had a feeling to it. Those roadside checks went on for weeks, and on top of making everyone in the area more aware than ever that police were not giving up, the Times reported that those checks led to three criminal arrests and two arrests for driving under the influence. On April 1st, the task force unveiled four new billboards seeking information in Dalton's case. Once again, it showed a massive photo of Dalton and the murder weapon and advertised a now $11,000 reward. The task force also handed out questionnaires to high school students, which is interesting and doesn't sound very random. Did they think that someone young was responsible or did they think that maybe the kids would know something about an adult in their lives? I don't know. It hasn't been elaborated on, but it was an interesting turn in this case. 
By the 5th, police announced that the task force had brought in around 600 new leads shitting all over America's Most Wanted. And we love America's Most Wanted. We're just really pumped at the efficiency of this task force. So please don't come at me. They said, this is a very big puzzle and we're still collecting pieces of it. But for every piece we collect, that just makes it a clearer picture. Police added that they were still having the private lab test more evidence. By the 15th, the reward in Dalton's case grew to $50,000, a stark contrast to the original $1,000. Four days later, the task force said they were focusing on people of interest. And if the math is mathing, that is more than one person. They said all of the people had been located and had either been interviewed already or would be soon, adding a large part of the puzzle has been completed. We've got all the missing pieces. We've just got to find out where they fit. If you're as amped up as I am at this point, you're probably thinking the A-team is about to make an arrest, but that's not what happened. In mid-May, the task force was almost done going through the now 700 leads they gathered, but arrests had not been made. Within a month, the billboards had been taken down and the task force was no longer convening in a command center. It felt like the balloon was slowly deflating, but police promised they were still focusing on their people of interest. Reporting on Dalton's case slowed down considerably over the next three months. In September, the task force announced that they had narrowed down their leads, but were still waiting for key proof that would secure a conviction. It sounded like they knew who and what they were looking at, but they were worried a jury would be a risk and they didn't want to risk their one shot at getting justice for Dalton. Coverage continued to slow down and no arrests were made. In March of 2005, Dalton's family held a candlelight vigil to mark the second anniversary of their seven-year-old son's murder. Multiple speakers addressed the crowd, including a 20-year police veteran who told parents and children how they can help increase child safety. Police gave an update, but it was just a reassurance that they were still investigating Dalton's murder. One sheriff said he still wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about Dalton, and honestly, I have no doubt that he does. A case like this of a kid this young killed in such a horrible way is traumatizing for everyone involved in different ways, of course. And you can see in the reporting that the relationship this department held with his family is something very deep and very personal. It's rare that we cover cases where after all of these years, police are still pulling out all the stops. And in Dalton's case, the team of investigators has only grown over time and the effort has not wavered. Reporting slowed over the next year and no new significant developments were made. To mark the three-year anniversary, another vigil was held. Police said the investigation remained a top priority and that new and existing leads were still being developed and followed up on. They revealed that there was forensic evidence in the case that hadn't been tested yet because they were waiting for the technology to advance. And that's what we like to hear, that they're being pragmatic. But for years, those advancements didn't come often. Dalton's family continued holding vigils on the one-year anniversaries, and law enforcement kept promising that they would never give up. In the years since, Michelle started a Facebook page to try and keep Dalton's case fresh in people's minds and feeds. 
She also started teaching self-defense to children, pushed for legislation to help find missing children, counseled parents through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and earned her associate's degree in criminal justice. She has dedicated her life to helping other parents and children and honestly reminds me a lot of John Walsh and Tim Miller turning their unimaginable pain into a resource for other families experiencing the same. She told the Times, I can't bring Dalton back. I'll never be able to bring him back, but I can do my best to make sure another child doesn't die like he did. In March of 2013, Michelle spoke to the Journal Star for the 10-year anniversary of Dalton's murder. She said, it's been 10 years and a million tears, with constant knowledge that he's never coming back. While his death has been unfathomably painful for Michelle, she said she doesn't mind talking about Dalton because she never wants people to forget about him, saying there has to be a lesson in his death. Maybe parents tell their children about Dalton and those children will be more careful. April 29, 2013 would have been Dalton's 18th birthday. Michelle reflected on what kind of person Dalton would be. She thought he'd be tall and artistic. He'd also be the proud owner of that Harley she had promised him. A year later, in March of 2014, Michelle told the Pantograph that she and the police knew who the murderer was and that she was sure they would eventually make an arrest. The state police commander said the case would absolutely be solved, but he didn't offer any further comment. But as the years continued on, there was no major developments in Dalton's case. Michelle continued her mission to help other children and parents in her position and to fight for answers. In March of 2021, KHQA reported that police had investigated approximately 2,000 leads and collected around 500 evidentiary exhibits in the previous 18 years. Even still, no arrests were made. Two months later, in May of 2021, Dalton's father, George, passed away at 60 years old. This year, on March 26, 2023, the 20th anniversary of Dalton's murder, the FBI released a seeking information alert stating they were still looking for information in Dalton's case. A candlelight vigil was once again held, but unfortunately, as of this recording, Dalton's murder remains unsolved. Michelle and one of Dalton's sisters has continued to vigorously fight for answers and run a Facebook page called Justice for Dalton Masarchik, which posts about Dalton as well as other missing or murdered people. Seven-year-old Dalton was abducted from his home in the 400 block of West Morrell Street in Streeter, Illinois, on March 26, 2003. He was found in the Vermilion River the following day. Anyone with information is asked to call the FBI at 1-800-225-5324. A $50,000 reward is still available. Dalton's family deserves answers and he deserves justice. If you know anything, please call. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Dalton's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 
Okay, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, and it is time to share a review that made my entire day. This one is from Sierra OG and says, favorite true crime podcast out there. I spend a lot of time in the car for work and Heather always keeps my attention and on the edge of my seat during every episode. Love, love, love. Okay, Sierra, you're my favorite person of the day. We are best friends in that car ride. We are riding together. We are talking about true crime and I'm honored to be a part of your day. You are the absolute best. Thank you for taking time out of your day to say something nice. Do something nice for me. Please know that I appreciate you more than you could ever know. I would talk to you guys soon again. Love you. Bye.